So there's something that happens to me a few times a month, and I want to see if this happens to you too. Twice a month, I will go out to get the mail. Actually, I go out and get the mail about every day. Um, but there are two very special times a month, and I will discover this magical booklet of BJ's coupons. And I will take the mail into the house, and I'll deposit the rest on the table, and I will open the magical booklet of BJ's coupons. And in that magical booklet, I will discover a number of things that up until that very moment, I would have never thought I needed. <laughs> but very soon, I will go to BJ's, coupons in hand. And a strange dance will take place where I will look upon this box of 48 frozen Pillsbury mini cinnamon rolls and think, well, for full price, I never would have gotten this, but I can't pass up this chance to save $1.50. <laughs> or how about on Sunday mornings when you bring in the weekly sales ads and you go through the Target ad and discover, oh, so many things you needed and wouldn't you know they all happen to be on sale? Please tell me I'm not alone on this island. <laughs> the last 300 years of scientific discovery, how am I going from coupons to scientific discovery? Stay with me, it'll make sense. Have opened our eyes to the myriad of invisible forces that are all around us. Perhaps the first discovery of these unseen forces was gravity, a force we rely on for all of life's functions and yet cannot see and don't really understand. But gravity truly was the beginning. Not only did we discover other invisible forces at work, like radiation and microwaves, but we learned how to harness these forces. Because of that, our daily lives have come to revolve around human harnessing of invisible forces. My phone always knows where I am, can get me where I need to get to, and can tell me any information I would ever need to know and a number of things no one would ever possibly need to know, and on occasion, you know, make phone calls, all because of invisible waves. My lunch will be heated up very quickly because of invisible forces. Medical sciences continue to make incredible advances because of harnessing forces that we cannot see. But as fans of Back to the Future know, we have yet to harness the force of gravity. Hashtag, where's my hoverboard? <laughs> this morning, I want to talk about another type of invisible force that is constantly pulling on us. Another sort of gravity, if you will. This morning, I want to talk about the financial gravity that we all experience in our daily lives. This financial gravity works on us in ways that can be difficult to notice, and yet they have a profound impact on the choices we make, the lives we lead, and if we take Jesus at his word, our discipleship and salvation. Financial gravity is at work on me when I get the BJ's coupon book. Financial gravity is at work on me when the Sunday ads come. Financial gravity is at work on me while I'm watching TV and I see commercials, or I see Kirk Cousins use a Microsoft Surface, or when the cool character in the TV show is using an Apple laptop. Recently, my son has begun paying attention to the commercials that air during his kids' TV shows. 
He used to stop watching when the commercials came on and start playing with toys, but now he is keenly aware of these things. And he will watch them intently. And after a commercial for a kid's toy, he will look at me and say, Daddy, I think I would like to play with that. Which is easily translated, Daddy, buy that for me. We are pulled more and more towards consumption. We are pulled more and more towards buying more things, having more things, having better things, and doing more things. And it's happening to us all the time. Imagine trying to go an entire day without feeling the pull of financial gravity. How could you escape? Well, you couldn't leave your house, that's for sure, because you would be sure to notice a billboard on the highway or uh, an ad in the window of a fast food restaurant or a gas station or store. You couldn't turn on the TV or listen to the radio because you would be bombarded with advertisements. Even watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu offers you more shows to watch, more reasons to extend your subscription, more reasons to get faster internet speed, or a better smart TV. And now while it might be possible to escape financial gravity for a day, perhaps a day spent on the deck reading, which sounds amazing, we certainly couldn't do it for very long. Because soon enough we would need to re-enter the world of financial gravity in order to have our basic needs of food, water, and shelter met, even as that gravity leads us out of meeting our needs to fulfilling our wants. Financial gravity pulls us towards more and more and more and more consumption. Financial gravity pulls us from meeting our needs as creatures to satisfying our wants and then satisfying more and more and more of our wants. This force is working on us constantly. But this force has always been there for centuries. This is not a 21st century problem, although the 21st century presents unique ways of dealing with this. This was a problem even in Jesus' day. And we have a story in the Gospels, a couple stories really, uh, but one in particular of a person dealing with the pull of financial gravity. This story is in Matthew 19, and it's displayed on this lovely screen here. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to go, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, 
Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So this young man comes up to Jesus and asks a question. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now this young man is a man after my own heart. He just seems lovingly obnoxious. Jesus gives him the kind of stock answer to his question, keep the commandments. The lovingly obnoxious young man then asks, which ones? Now to be fair, this could be an honest question, as there were over 600 commandments in Torah. So which ones were the big ones? And now we ask this all the time. Which things must I do? Which things are more important than others? Which things that God said did God really, really, really mean? Frankly, Jesus probably would have been justified to say all of them. Not unlike when a child asks, how many bites of vegetables do I need to eat before I can be done? But Jesus lists a few. The young man says he has done all of these things. What then is he still lacking? I want to break into the story here because the Ten Commandments can be broken down into two categories. And the two categories uh, neatly fit into the two greatest commandments that Jesus said. So it was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So there are commandments that govern our relationship with God, love the Lord your God, and commandments that involve our relationships with other people. The ones that involve our relationship with other people are, as you might imagine, honor thy father and mother, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and you shall not covet. Jesus named all of these but one to the rich young man. The commandments that govern our relationship with God are, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me, shalt not make graven images, shalt not take the, Lord of the, name, the name of the Lord in vain, and remember the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't mention any of these. I'm going to let this hang for a second as we continue on through our story. So Jesus says to the young man that if you will be perfect, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. What an opportunity this is for this young man. Jesus is giving him a literal once-in-a-lifetime chance to follow the Messiah, the Christ, in the final weeks, months, or years of his earthly ministry. To hear the teachings firsthand. To see the miracles. To be there. How many people go to the Holy Land every year to see places where we think Jesus at one time was, and here this man has a chance to be there where Jesus right now is? right in the middle of the action. And what's more, Jesus says that if the young man does this, the young man will be perfect. If you are telling me that there's one quick and easy thing I could do to be called perfect by Jesus, I'd at least have to think long and hard about it. All he has to do is sell all that he has and give it to the poor. He can't do it. He can't sell all that he has. He can't give it up. He can't do the one thing, the one thing that would let him freely follow Jesus, the one thing that would make him perfect. And wouldn't you know, in refusing and walking away, he's showing that he can't follow one of the Ten Commandments, the one involving people that Jesus didn't ask him about, thou shalt not covet, 
He loves his things too much. He covets his wealth. He can't leave it behind. He walks away sad. He walks away grieving. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I find it interesting that Jesus connects what has just happened with the kingdom of God. And I find it interesting because the commandments that Jesus didn't list to the young man were either about coveting or about our relationship with God. And I wonder if there's a connection there. You see, in the kingdom of God, God is king. Duh. Jesus talks about entering the kingdom of God and that the rich young man was unable to enter into it, which means that this rich young man must be living in something other than the kingdom of God. In his book, Defying Gravity, the cover of which is beautifully printed on your lifeline for you, and it's the foundation of this sermon series, Tom Berlin talks about how it is possible for us to live in a kingdom of self. He says that we, like, we actually like to live in a place where I am the king, or you are the king, where I make my own decisions, where I have complete rule. The rich young man liked living in his own kingdom, where he could decide what things he had and what things he would give up, what he was willing to do and what he was unwilling to do. He liked being the ultimate authority on what things would command his attention and devotion. The rich young man liked being able to choose what he loved, what he found valuable, what he found desirable. And I think therein lies the connection between coveting and our relationship with God. The rich young man loved his things more than he loved God. He coveted his own possessions over desiring to follow the Messiah. And because of that, his relationship with God was out of whack. His possessions, his wealth, had such a hold on him that he couldn't be drawn into a right relationship with God. The gravitational pull of his wealth and possessions was just too great. That gravitational pull affects us all. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It's hard to defy gravity. It's hard to defy the gravitational pull of wealth and possessions. Jesus said it's harder for a camel to go through the eye it's it's sorry it's harder than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle which is a really weird analogy to make where did you come up with that Jesus well in the city of Jerusalem there was a gate called the needle gate the main gate in the old city of Jerusalem was wide like a normal city gate but there was a secondary gate called the Needle Gate that could be accessed if an invading army was coming in. You could barricade the main gate and you still had this other gate. Now this gate was not big enough for an army to get into and in fact would have provided a convenient choke point should an army try to get in. But it was perfect for smugglers running supplies into the city during a siege. When Jesus talks about a camel going through the eye of a needle, he's very likely talking about the needle gate in the city. Because in order for a camel to go through the needle gate, the camel would have to get down and essentially crawl through. Not easy for a camel to do that. But what's more, 
Camels were beasts of burden. A camel traveling to Jerusalem would not just be carrying people. The camel's main purpose would be to carry stuff. Camels were the 18-wheelers of Jesus' day. Food, spices, goods, money. And if a camel, weighed down with stuff, were to attempt to pass through the needle gate, the saddlebags, the stuff, would have to be removed. In order for the camel to get down and crawl through this tiny gate, the camel must first divest itself from its possessions. Now the analogy is, well, self-explanatory. But there's, there's a tricky thing about the way gravity works. Things that have more mass create greater gravitational force. The Earth has enough gravitational force to hold the moon in orbit. The sun, having a much greater mass than the Earth, generates enough gravitational force to hold the whole solar system in orbit. And yes, that includes Pluto, because Pluto's a planet. I don't even care. <laughs> and I myself have enough gravitational force to keep donuts constantly around me. That was a terrible joke. That was bad. The, the one about Pluto, okay. Donuts, eh. The same can be said, uh, the same can hold true for our wealth and possessions. The more that we have, the greater the force of financial gravity that, keep, that, uh, that has on us to keep the things that we have and to get more. I know I've said this before, but there was a survey done that revealed the vast majority of Americans, people from all financial areas, believed that if they earned 10% more, they would feel they were on good financial footing. So no matter where you were on a financial spectrum, at, nearly all Americans said they needed 10% more to feel secure. We all think that we need just a bit more in order to have all that we need. Financial gravity is hard for all of us, but it's all, it, it is hard in, in, in a special way for those who live in the midst of such affluence. We feel it in ways more acutely because of our connection and association with places of greater wealth. Yet Jesus says to fully enter into the kingdom of God, we need to defy that gravity. We need to overcome the financial gravity that calls us to consume more, to acquire more, to have more. We need to resist the pull our society places on us to have the newest thing, the biggest thing, the best thing. Instead, we need to come to see that the kingdom of God truly is the best thing. But the first step in, in defying gravity is understanding that it is a force operating on us in the first place. The first step to solving a problem is admitting that you have a problem. We need to see this as something at work in our lives, something that is at play in our lives. We need to see the way that this force works on us, the ways this force changes our attitudes and behaviors, the way the force affects what we desire. And we have to understand that this force is actively working against our discipleship actively working against our ability to follow Jesus, actively working against us fully entering into the kingdom of God. So over the next few weeks, we are going to talk about how to defy gravity. We defy gravity through learning to be generous. We break free from the culture of more by becoming generous people who give of our time, our talents, and our treasure. We're going to talk about financial planning and doing homework to be able to prepare for generosity. Generosity. 
we're going to talk about stewardship and financial giving. Now, I get this will be awkward. As much as there is a pull in our culture towards having more, consuming more, there's a pull for pastors to not talk about money. I get it. Because it's awkward. And yet, we're going to have to do it for a couple weeks. So from the outset, I want to do something even more awkward so that the most awkward moment of this sermon series can be out of the way from the beginning. You see, all of this talk about defying gravity has a song stuck in my head. And some of you might have this song stuck in your head too. So as we consider the financial gravity we all feel that can hinder our discipleship, and as we look at strategies to break free, I have only one response. It's time to try defying gravity. I think I'll try defying gravity. We're gonna fly, we're defying gravity. And you can't bring me down. So there it is. It can't get any more awkward than that, friends. No matter what else we talk about, that's the most awkward thing that's going to happen in the next four weeks. So let's give it a try. Let's try to defy gravity and see if we can't break free from the culture of more. Let us pray. Almighty and all of God.